Hello. Hello. How are you? Uh, I'm great. How are you, man? Man, I'm doing very well. Very well. It's good to hear you again. Yes, sir. Can you hear me all right? I'm in a whole new setup than what I usually am in. <laughs> yeah, you're coming through clearly, man. How about me? Yeah, you're good. You're good. But yeah, okay. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Now, Senator Scott, you are on a special episode today that you did not know. Uh, I had different plans, but they changed. Everything fell through. But I was like, oh, I got nothing to worry about because I know Mr. Scott's going to give me a great podcast. You are on episode 200 of the podcast. Can you believe that? 200 that is crazy, and That is amazing. Three balls been on this thing for a minute. 200 episodes. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. If you do not know who uh, Senator Scott is, he uh, he is a teacher, uh, activist in his community, former rapper, uh, <laughs> And the only three ball podcast Hall of Famer. So yeah, he's got all that going for him. And he is one third of uh, Don't Trust the Punch. So there you go. I gave you a little introduction. I appreciate it. That was a good one, man. I'm trying to um, readjust my my headphones here. Can you still hear me? Yes, yes. Perfect. Yeah, no, that was one of the best intros you could have given me, man. Teacher, thinker, talker, aspiring theologian, all of that, man, for sure. Yep, yep. Um, now, we are keeping it going on this classic album review series. We're, uh, we are on uh, season one of this, episode three, and Mr. Scott actually picked the album. Uh, do you want to tell the audience what it is and why you picked it in particular? Yeah, so the album that we're going to review uh, this afternoon is Soul Food by the Atlanta rap group uh, quartet Goody Mob. Uh, and I chose this album because um, it's, it's a hip hop classic, especially a Southern classic. It is one of maybe two or three albums that really put Atlanta in the mainstream and in the forefront of, of hip hop and especially like Southern hip hop. And it's an album that's near and dear to my heart personally in terms of how it opened my consciousness to be more aware of what was going on in my city. Um, came in a very, like, a, an important part of, like, me beginning to embrace and understand my identity as, as a Black person. And also to just increase greater love um, for myself uh, as an Atlantan and a Southern Black person. So, like, yeah, I mean, Goody Mob Soul Food is just... It's, it's pivotal in my life, but it's also pivotal in the history of my community. So, Gotcha, gotcha. I know um, before we get into it, I know a couple of things that I wanted to talk to you about before it. Um, this was their debut album. Uh, I, had, I really hadn't heard much of uh, Goody Mob before. I think I've heard a song or two. I never really listened to an album. And then I go look at the members. I'm like, oh, man, CeeLo Green. I know CeeLo. <laughs> And yeah, I I really enjoyed it, uh, especially for me. This is my first listen for them, it, like a whole album. I liked all like the soulful hooks they did. It reminded me like I was like you see the church choir, and I really loved that. And yeah, sold over five hundred thousand this album, and it released November seventh, nineteen ninety five. Uh, it, it was really eye opening for me. I enjoyed it, and I know we'll get into more detail about it in a little bit, but. Is there is there anything different uh, th that you listen to it now than when you did back in the day? Has anything changed for you? Has it gotten better, stayed the same, or do you think it may be a little bit worse than what you remember it being? So what do you think about that? 
No, one of the things that I think is is great about this album is how it has held up over time. Um, we talk about, or I talk about the five C's of a classic album, right? That it's creative, it's conceptual, it's coherent, that it's captivating, and it's concise. And this album has all of those things, right? It, it clocks in at 61 minutes, despite it having, um, what, 19 tracks on it yeah um, 19 but some of them are like what i call skits or stories like short stuff so, yeah some of them are like really short skits and things like that but what was great about organized noise productions whether it was outcast or goody mob they were really really good at skits um which was common yeah. in the 90s with hip-hop like you would have a lot of interludes and skits skits and some of them would be really good back then nowadays like the art of making a good skit or a good interlude has kind of been lost um cash money was good at that too but yeah, despite there being like four skits on here, which also kind of serve as like hymns that move you to different sections um, throughout yeah. the album. It's a concise album and it still remains timelessly good. Like it's some of Organized Noise best production. It's some of, you know, Rico and, and Sleepy Brown's best production, some of their best beats. We've got people, you know, you've got four very talented rappers who are doing melodic um, harmonies and kind of that sort of rapping that now is super common in, in, in rap music. They were doing that early on back in 1995. And so, yeah, man, it just, it just remains an incredibly powerful album and continually yeah. relevant socially. Like there's just still stuff you can learn. There's still a lot of stuff on here that hits your, hits your soul in a way, just like, like, like gospel choir. Like you were saying, like, man, it, it don't matter whether you believe or not. When you hear a good gospel choir blow, like it, it don't matter. You have to have no soul for it not to touch you. And this album still does that over and over and over again. Yes. I, I was about to say, cause you were talking about the, uh, the interludes, uh, or the skits or whatever you want to call them. I I didn't know how to grade them, but like the more I kept going uh, toward the end of the album, each each interlude or skit has their own message or story or it's bringing you into the next part of the album, which I really do like because, you know, nowadays Drake, his intro song that gets you to like the new chapter or new part of his album is not very good. All of these were very good, though, in my opinion. And they really brought brought you along throughout the album, so I no enjoyed doubt. That's those right. too. That's right. Yeah. Um, I probably should have sent you at least uh, one album review that I've done in the past. Well, maybe I have, but it may have been a while. Uh, but the way I grade them is a little different. How you guys do it at uh, Don't Trust the Punch? I grade okay. them like one through five each song, and um, yeah, I give them. I average out all the scores, and that's how I create like the score for the album right now the leader is uh amy winehouse's back to black album with uh 5.5 out of 5 she went over the scale but wow. uh yeah soul food is definitely the best uh rap album that we've ever done on the podcast so it, it does take that mantle let's hear best it let's get into album. it then yeah uh so we started off the uh, album with a uh, free it was a minute and 24 seconds i i usually write down the times but as I kept going, I keep forgetting because I'm so immersed in the album. Right. <laughs> so I just forgot to write down times as the, the farther we go. 
But yeah, the first out, first song of the album was free. I thought this was a five out of five song. I loved the piano and the keyboard sounds, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you're in a church. I absolutely loved it. And it was nice and short and to the point as an intro song. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, free is such a great way to start this album off because with an album called Soul Food, you expect it to be soulful. You expect the punch right in the gut, right in your heart from the very beginning. And when you're hearing Cujo, Timo, Gip, and of course, CeeLo Green, you know, come together to harmonize, they're humming. And I mean, just, just the words of the song alone, Lord, it's so hard living this life, a constant struggle each and every day. Some many, some wonder why I'd rather die than to continue living this way. Many are blind and cannot find um, a source because uh, and no one seems to really know. But I won't accept that this is the way this have to be. Devil, you have to let me and my people go because I want to be free. Like it's just even when you speak that there's chills. Right. And yeah. it's it's so much of what this album is about. It's so much of what we hear and we sing in church. It's so much of what the root and the soul is to be a Southern black person in a nutshell. Right. And so to start this album out, you already, you you realize, Oh, I'm listening to soul food from the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, Another thing I liked about this album too, is that it stays serious, but like, I can't remember which song it is, but there's a line somewhere where it's like a punchline, where it's a serious punchline, but it still gives you the, ah, that's a joking punchline too mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love that, which rappers can't do that anymore either. I don't right. know why. They're, they're not very good at punchlines today. <laughs> but the next song in the album was Thought Process, and it had Andre 3000 on it. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, you know I love Andre 3000. I think he's the greatest rapper of all time. So this mm-hmm. is a five out of five song for me. I don't think it gets any better than Andre. <laughs> yeah i mean everybody does their thing on this song and goes in really hard but if you're if you're an outcast fan then i think it's pretty easy to say that this is probably andre 3000's best verse um at least it's, it's certainly in my top two or three i mean you could maybe even argue that Aquimini, his verse there is on there but i mean this verse is just it's it's just beautiful there's references to both Southern playlistic on here, but there's also even references to the album that would come next in the sequence of the Dungeon Family, um, you know, a discography, which would be, of course, AT Aliens. So there's a song on AT Aliens called The 13th Flow. And so here he references this idea of how many, um, many elevator systems and old buildings don't have 13th floors. And so what it's like to then be trapped and have to get off at the 13th floor when there isn't one. Right. What does that mean? That means to be completely disregarded, to be in a space of life where no one doesn't no one even considers your existence. Um, And so just little clever little lines like that, that get you thinking, um, even to hear, um, you know, a reference to the Atlanta missing and murdered. Like he says, um, when we was kids, the only thing we feared was Williams Wayne, you know, um, who was the guy, the fall guy for the like the over what 20 to 30 something kids and young adult black people who were who went killed and were found missing and um, mutilated 
in Atlanta from like 77 to like 82 or something like that. Um, but there's just, I mean, even references to abortion in here and, and how he felt about that and just the idea of just complete, being completely discarded. And this is what affects my thought process. This is the everyday life, right, of a black man, not only in the South, right, but this is the, 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 the context in which Goody Mob is coming from, but just in America. This is what it feels like to have to have a brain, uh, a, a daily way of thinking that is shaped by being discarded and disregarded and never considered. Yeah, I, one of the lines I liked or loved in the song uh, was that I can't remember which one of them said it, but they said they like being poor because at least I know where my, why my friends are here for. Yeah, it. yeah. So along those lines. I yeah. absolutely love that. That's, that's a good one. Um, then we had our first, uh, I guess, interlude or or skit. I don't really count free as one. I count that as like the intro track mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. called Road Dog. From what I heard from it, now you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's like uh, the police are barging into a house is what I got from it. Yeah. So the song right. is called, yeah, the song is called Red Dog. And so this is a little bit of uh, of Atlanta history. You have to be an Atlantan to really to really know this. Um, but the Red Dog Police Department was formed in 1987 during the crack epidemic in America. Right. I don't think it's much of a secret. It's been confirmed not only kind of through Hollywood movies and things like that, like Narcos, the first couple of seasons of Narcos or Snowfall. Um, but we know that Ronald Reagan and the American government in, intentionally in order to fund the fund the uh, the anti-contra or the contra movements, uh, anti-communist movements in Nicaragua. They funneled cocaine into America and intentionally distributed that within black and brown impoverished neighborhoods. Right. And so in the early 80s, when the heat of the Cold War was happening in Latin America and they were exchanging weapons and guns and things like that for cocaine, um, cocaine was kind of this party drug. It was a designer's drug you were able to just do open air use of cocaine because it was kind of like it was it was OK because white people were, were doing cocaine in Miami and hopping in pink, you know, pink Lamborghinis or Ferraris or whatnot. It was that Miami Vice sort of lifestyle that was very celebrated. And you'd be surprised doctors, lawyers, everybody was doing this new drug called cocaine. Well, once the Cold War started to end and we were pulling America was pulling out of those places. Um, then Ronald Reagan signs in 1986, you know, the um, hey, we're cracking down on drugs, especially as crack rock comes and it's ravishing black neighborhoods, black impoverished neighborhoods. Oh, now all of a sudden we're cracking down on drugs. Now all of a sudden his wife says, just say no. And they are now shifting what was once certain police departments that were just hands off, even were kind of dirty you know, and, and fun and pay, getting paid to kind of allow this stuff to happen and uh, to even move bricks of cocaine. Now, all of a sudden, these cops are busting in doors, busting in establishments, raiding people, doing all of this. And so in 1987, under the leadership of Chief Eldrin Bell, um, who was the head, you know, one of the, I think he was, Eldrin Bell might have been the first or second black chief of police in the city of Atlanta under uh, Mayor ja- uh, Maynard Jackson at that time started the Red Dog Police Department. And Red Dog, if I remember, stands for run every drug dealer out of Georgia. And so, but the thing was, these guys were ex-paramilitary folks. Like these were like splinter cell type people, black ops folks that, you know, became gotcha. police departments that were allowed by the federal government and state governments to kind of run this kind of very violent 
uh, bust doors open, hop out of unmarked vans, jump out boy type of tactics. But there was no accountability. Like they were just given carte blanche blank check to just be able to arrest whoever they wanted to crush anybody they wanted to and of course at that time going into the 90s you had with the clintons you had this um you know uh, three strikes rule or whatever or even under reagan like a, a gram of crack was the uh, a gram of crack was the same as a gram of cocaine like you're going you're going to jail right and you're going to jail for years and years and so the impact of that within black communities in america especially in Atlanta, Georgia, was indelible because it began the prison industrial complex. And so what Goody Mob is saying there is that the Red Dog Police Department is just one wing of the Dirty South. It's just another white supremacist organization that is used as a lynch mob to control and to kill and to eliminate Black people, especially Black men in their own communities. So that skit, Red Dog, flows right into Dirty South, right? Which both yeah. with Cool Breeze's debut, which if you're from Atlanta, you love Cool Breeze. You know, East Point's greatest hit is also one of the Southern classics. But this is this is kind of the context and the meaning of this song and what it's what it's beginning to talk about. And while New York rappers had already been talking about that, Wu-Tang and Nas had already been talking about the crack epidemic and even even going back to days of run DMC and things like that. Now you've got in the South people who are really addressing this socially conscious issue in the uh, in the early 90s. So, yeah. And uh, so a lot of. Uh... A lot of history jam packed in a, like a twenty three second skit. Where, <laughs> yeah. where if you know what he, if you know what they're talking about, then that's a lot of history for you. Right, right. And you had mentioned it leads right into Dirty South, where you said it was the debut of Cool Breeze, and it had Big Boy on it too. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. That's right. So yeah. So so what did you think of this song? I I did not know all the history in, into it. So I, I'll probably I'd probably change my grade now now that I know all the history going into it. Um, I'll gi- I'll give it a five out of five uh, song just because you detailed all the history there too. So that makes it really more impact impactful to me uh, with all the history with it. So I'll I change it to a five out of five song. So what did you think about it? Yeah, man. With all this? Oh, I I love this song. For me, like. I want to just real quickly talk about like the first, like my introduction to this album. Cause as I'm reminiscing, if I'm honest, like this album came out in 95, like late 95. I think I might've heard it maybe spring or summer of early summer of 96. I was 13, 14 years old, possibly at that time. We were living in Buckhead right off of Peachtree road. Um, Next to we were living in that that down that street between the Benihana and I think now there's some sort of like farmers market or something there. It's been a while since I've been over that way near Piedmont Hospital. And but what it was back in the early 90s, that plaza right next to Benihana was at first it was Turtles Rhythm and Views. Shout out to Turtles. If you know, you know, if you're from the South, you know, Turtles Rhythm and Views was like a tape and VHS rental spot. But it was only in the South. Like it was only Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia. Maybe you got some in northern Florida and South Carolina. But Turtles, Turtles, uh, Turtles tapes. What was it? Cassettes and tapes was that spot. Right. 
And then they kind of enlarged their franchise to something called Rhythm and Views, where it was like a huge kind of almost like multiplex of where you could just you could even preview music. So you could pick any tape or any C CD and you would go to a listening station where they actually had like a real person there. Right. Who would open yeah. the cassette for you, put it in the six disc changer and you could sit there and listen to an entire album. Right. An entire CD, oh, wow. an entire tape right there at the listening station. So I would go because it was right up the street from my apartment. I would go up there. Right. Especially when my mama wasn't home. I would just walk up there and just sit there and just get exposed to music. And so yeah. I saw Goody Mob and maybe I knew a little bit about Outkast. I had listened to a few songs from Southern Playlistic, which they came out the year before. So I knew a little bit. I looked at them. Maybe I had some familiarity. I looked at the back. I saw Andre's name. I saw Big Boy. I'm like, OK, organized noise. I know. Let me throw it in on the humbug. Had never didn't know anything about Goody Mob. Didn't even remember them from being on, you know, being on like Call It A While or being on Get Up, Get Out, Get Something from from Southern Playlistic. Just say, let me this looks dope blew my mind i had i never at that point i had not lived in any parts of atlanta other than the north side um my dad had taken me around to the west side taken me around um to the au center had taken me around to pascals he was living um in southwest atlanta on Camblin road cascade around there i had been around to east point i was learning atlanta history really from being with my dad but it was 60s, 70s, early 80s Atlanta history, civil rights stuff, um, and not totally understanding the dynamics of what was happening at that time in the in the 90s. Yeah. And and this album was my first, it was my first exposure like to just kind of like socio-political consciousness, awareness of blackness, awareness of what was going on in my city and my placement in it. Both, you know, my privilege and not necessarily being steeped and growing up in the projects in the 90s, but also just being able and, and in that there was conflict within me and a desire to want to step across that and to learn a little bit more of what it looked like to have that type of Atlanta experience. But I could begin to vicariously experience that and begin to understand that and ask my dad questions and ask my mom questions. Like even when you listen to the song Soul Food and we get there and they talk about JJ's Rib Shack and the beautiful restaurant, like what's, what are these places? Like I wanna, and my parents are like, how do you know about JJ's? How do you know about the beautiful? Like, right, and I'm getting that from listening, you know, to Goody Mob. So one of the lines in this song, Dirty South, that really struck me was just how it starts with Cool Breeze. And he, and he says, now Dirty Bill Clinton fronted me some weight, told me keep to bring him back eight. And I only brought him five and stuck his ass for three. Do you think that Clampett would stick his goons on me? See, Martell Holmes, that's my claim to fame. Martell Holmes doesn't exist anymore. Everybody knows since 1996, the project, all the projects in Atlanta got torn down. Like in many cities, there's no longer public housing. And that's where I learned my slickest tricks to the dope D game. Like my favorite, I call it lemon head delight. That's where you lick off all the yellow and you sell the white. And so just even thinking about the politics of that, right? Because we were so enamored as black people with Bill Clinton playing a saxophone on Arsenio Hall. I remember my mom voted for Bill Clinton, which was weird because I think she voted for Reagan before, right? Um, yeah. And maybe even for George Bush uh, Sr. And then just people just being it. But people 
who were really beginning to like lift up the skirt of what was going on was like, hey man, there's there's some cahoots and there's some cons- like consistency, some congruence in what we've seen from the Reagan, from the Nixon era into the Reagan era, even here with Bill Clinton, different faces, different colors from red to blue or, or from, from elephant to donkey, but it's the same impact and the same effect that it's having on our community. Um, and so that just really, even that stuck with me and made me have to do research and think about my community and think about politics differently, right? And even began to ask questions about, well, what about these projects? And that's when I began to really do the history of my family. My mom didn't always want to talk about it, but began to learn that my whole family grew up in Boeing homes. Like right before I was born in 1982, my uncle and all of them remember the Atlanta missing and murder and the fear that was there about your children living in Bowen homes in West side Atlanta. Right. And, and they had moved from the projects to Buckhead just a little bit after Wayne Williams was arrested. So it's just like, had I been born a year or two earlier, what would that have looked like for me to be born in the midst of that sort of fear in the midst of that environment? So it's just, this song for me just holds a lot of weight not only because it's a five song, but just also because there's just so much consciousness and awareness that's wrapped up in very, very simple, clever lines. Gotcha. Now, I, that's, that's a lot of deep stuff right there from you. Um, just blows my mind about all this stuff because, you know, in school, a lot of times they don't teach you all this stuff. It's right. like, even when you learn Georgia history, well, it's not actual Georgia history. It's what we want to teach you in Georgia history. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, blows my mind. Um, after Dirty South, if, if you want to move on. Let's like, do it. Okay. Um, the fifth song is called uh, Call Therapy. Um, <laughs> cell yeah. therapy, cell therapy. So, okay, uh, I can't read my handwriting half the time. As my English <laughs> teacher, you probably remember I had awful handwriting anyway. It's all so. good. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so what did you think of cell therapy? I, I absolutely love the beat on the song, and I, I love a lot of the beats and instrumentals on all the old school songs, whether it's rap or even rock and roll or jazz. I like a lot of the old sounds that you really don't have today. Yeah, I so mean, is, cell, cell Therapy is Goody Mob's biggest song, right? Even if you've never heard the song, you've heard that beat, that... Yeah. Right? Travis Scott even sampled it, I think, on his last album, or the album before last, I think it was Rodeo. Um, so, or no, it was Astro World. he sampled it. So, yeah, I mean, this is by far their biggest song. Right now on Spotify, Cell Therapy has almost 20 million plays. Um, So this is not only Goody Mob's biggest hit, but it is probably in the top five biggest Southern rap songs of all time. And I think you got to put cell therapy in your list of top 100 greatest rap songs of all time, period. Now, where you might place that in conjunction with, you know, all the subgenres of hip hop, you know, could be debatable. But for anyone not to include this is one of the greatest rap songs ever made is just you don't you. You either don't respect the South or you don't know rap music, period. Um, yeah, I, I had it a five out of five song. Yeah, so. hands down. I mean, and so, and the song is pretty, it's pretty obvious. Again, you got to get 
unravel a lot of the conspiracy theory talk and a lot of the understanding of their perspective because you know i'm 13 14 when i'm listening to this these guys are in their early 20s and so i'm having an awakening of consciousness right but so are they and i was listening to them do an interview on 85 south um shout out to 85 south and carlos miller and dc fly and chico and all of them um they were doing an interview with 85 South earlier this year. And the four of them were saying like, we was young and we was just getting exposed to behold a pale horse. So I'm telling you from, from one young black man to another, you need to read this book. It's called Behold a Pale Horse by William or Bill Cooper. Um, it is a book, it is a document reader. So what that means, it is actual uh, redacted and actual like government documents on a bunch of different, some people would say conspiracy theories. I would say evidence of government conspiracies from uh, extraterrestrial life, uh, satanic and Masonic involvement and cult participation within the government and American entertainment, assassinations of Kennedy, King, Malcolm X, um, conspiracies of final solutions and race, uh, race war intention out, just all of this stuff. So they had read this book. Now it's crazy. I hadn't read, I wouldn't read Behold a Pale Horse until a couple of years later, but so much of that was awakening their consciousness. And as they were sharing that information with black folks, especially Southern black folks, right? My consciousness was being awakened. And so what makes this song so powerful is just the shared awakening experience that comes from listening to this, especially for Southern black folks, because five nation of five percenters and gods and earth were weaving some of this knowledge in to their music in New York hip hop, whether it's Nas or Busta Rhymes or Wu-Tang, a lot of, or poor righteous teachers up North East coast rap already included a lot of this, but in the South, you know, before before Outkast and Goody Mob, it was all kind of like Cadillac Doze and Hoes and booty shaking music. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so Organized Noise and the Dungeon Family are going to completely revolutionize what Southern music sounds like. But this, in a nutshell, this song is exactly what it sounds like. It is about, you know, understanding that as African-American, part of the African-American experience and reality is being trapped, as in being a cell in a cell and in that cell you're being conditioned in your thoughts in your exposure and how you see yourself and being exposed to violence to chemicals to drugs um, and that this is intentional this is not some circumstance of your own making though we though goody mob will often question whether or not we perpetuate right our own destruction yeah. Um, they will certainly say we are not the originators or the progenitors of this situation. And so cell therapy is just, ah, goodness, you almost need to read it alongside genius or to have behold a pale horse next to you because there's just so many references in here to like operation heartbreak hotel, which is this idea that, you know, the United States government has intentionally created welfare hotels in order to be able to concentrate black people in impoverished situations and communities, and then expose them to violence and toxins and to keep them destitute. And that that's very much akin to Adolf Hitler's final solution and exposing people to, to, you know, exposing Jews then to gas chambers. And so we've seen that there's a correlation between asthma and and roaches right yeah. 
uh, and mildew. And we know that those things are common in the slums. Just, I mean, there's just stuff in there about technology and the use of technology to be able to track people um, and for the government to watch people, things like that, that, you know, has come to pass recently in the 21st century. They were talking about that in 1995. So it's just, yeah, it's just very potent, powerful stuff, well-written, well-rhymed with a fire beat. Like it's, it's goody mob at their best for sure. Yeah. Um, the, the next song was uh, Sesame Street. I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah, you, you know, got right? it. You got it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sesame Street. I, I like the song. I think it's a four out of five. I think with a lot of these, with a lot of these great albums that, you know, are classics and even underrated classic albums, there are no bad songs on the album. Right, right. You just can't fathom if you just listen to music today. Like, there are 10 bad songs on the Drake album, but there are no bad songs on this album. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just so different to see. That's from it. today's rap and old rap. Yeah, and Sesame Street is basically about being a young person growing up in these neighborhoods, you know, um, and in this yeah. condition. I mean, that's a lot of what the Soul Food album is. It's just about awakening your consciousness to what's around you and trying in the midst of that consciousness to not only celebrate the beauty that you can find in the midst of suffering, in the midst of this degradation. Like, you know, I mean, I often describe being Black in America as making hell your home, right? We were given... We were given pig slop and we turned it into soul food. We were given broken instruments and guitars and we made blues, right? Like yeah. we've created so much of the soul and the consciousness and the fabric of what, of who this country is, right? Without us, there is no prophetic voice of justice. Uh, I think in America at all, our, our presence here is a conscious, constant reminder of that. And so why this album is both very painful in many of its topics and also like fills your spirit with so much joy and hope is because I think living and growing up as African-American in the South, like that is your constant reality. And I love that. And, you know, when you listen to 90s New York rap, so much of the religious or the theological bent of that music is Islam. Right. Whether it's Nation of Islam or five percent Islam or even Sunni Islam, Islam seems to be the religious or spiritual lens through which Nas and Busta Rhymes and Wu-Tang and folks look through. But in the South, we just didn't have that. Right. Islam just doesn't have the same uh, pro proliferation. Um, especially in the 90s in the South and historically throughout the 20th century, the way it did in northern cities. And so Christianity, right, and especially the Black church is what has been that bastion of spiritual consciousness. And so Goody Mob just weaves that in perfectly in the yeah. midst of all of this, right, and doesn't shy away from it, doesn't shy away from, hey, this is the theological lens that we grew up with, with our mamas and our grandmas and what we've been exposed to. And yet there still is this tinge of consciousness too, because it's not white Jesus stuff by any means. I mean, you get to some of these skits and you get to some of CeeLo's verses. People forget that CeeLo was, you know what I'm saying, talking yeah. very revolutionary on his album. He's not the, you know, uh, the uh, the same CeeLo that you'll get with Gnarls Barkley or later on with the pop music CeeLo. He's a very different CeeLo early on, so. Absolutely. Now, uh, because you had said something about... Uh you know this being very where they do tie in like christianity black mm -hmm. church or that kind of stuff i i'm just thinking right here imagine imagine if kanye could 
since he wants to be a Christian rapper now or do right. whatever he's trying to do, <laughs> why can't like why can't he make something like this? Well, that's the thing. He used to. I mean, people forget that Kanye West is from Atlanta. He was born yeah. in Atlanta, right? Him and his mom moved to Chicago when he was maybe like five years old. And I think his dad is a, is a theologian or a pastor or something like that. See, I think his dad might even be a seminary professor. So often we forget that Kanye West made Jesus Walks, right? Often we forget that he made Ultralight Beam, even before he had kind of just said, I'm not going to cuss in albums anymore, right? Before he did Sunday service, he was all father stretched my hands. He's always been weaving in a spiritual consciousness that's very much steeped in the black Christian experience. That's just a part of of who we are as Southern people. And it's being in touch with kind of the land and the stories of our ancestors is a part of our, it's a part of our soul. And so um, that's one of the things I love so much about Southern rap music is that despite whatever street stuff is in there, there's also like walking this, this balance between, but my grandma taught me this, you know what I'm saying? Like, and yeah. every time, and I might be thugged out with a pistol in my belt, but I bet you I bow my head before I eat this meal. You know what I'm saying? And that's, yeah. that's just kind of what it is, right? The experience of, of black Christianity in the South and still growing up in the realization that this is the dirty South too, that, that we kind of trapped off in this thing, you know, with, with nowhere else to go. And that's intentional. And so how do we find freedom in the midst of that. And some of that comes through celebration. Some of that comes through bucking the system in ways that do look violent. Some of it may even be self-destructive. And some of it is subverting it with a knowledge and a wisdom that is coded in messages that the other side can't understand. And that's what I think Outkast and Goody Mob and good quality Southern music, what I call soulful Southern music, UGK does this well, 8-Ball MJG do this well. That's what makes that type of music so deeply spiritual and, and profound. It makes it a special genre within within rap music. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know how much time you have left. I know you said you can't go more than an hour. Yeah. Um, so for for some of these songs, I, I know you got a lot of backstory, a lot of details. On oh, them. yeah, man. I, I can rant all day. You tell me what songs you want to hit real quickly and I can go. I can go quickly with them. Um. I'll go, I'll go ahead and we'll skip down. There, there are a lot of good songs, as I've said before. But um, so you got to correct me here. Is it going to be live at the Omni or live at the Omni? Aha, uh-huh. live at the Omni. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, from what I heard, they talked about, I mean, a lot of deep and real issues uh, that still happen today. And uh, I think the line, yeah, it if I wrote this down right, only us with no unity, eyes mm-hmm. open, or eyes open but can't see. No, mm-hmm. those weren't at the same time, but those are two verses that are two bars I really liked in the song. So what is your opinion on it? I had it as a five out of five song. I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, there's a couple of things I'll say real quickly, right? Omni uh, is an abbreviation for one million niggas inside, right? But it's also a reference to the old basketball arena, um, the Omni, which is where the Hawks used to play all the way up into like, I think maybe the late 90s, early 2000s when it changed to Phillips Arena. Now it's State Farm Arena, I think. So um, this was the original OG uh, basketball arena. 
The other thing that's important about this song is that they were talking about having a one million black person movement or march even before Farrakhan had organized the Million Man March on Washington. So this concept of pan-Africanism, of black unity, of not even just thinking about black nationalism, but the idea of a targeted mission and identity and approach to black justice um, was just something that was just so, I mean, it wasn't far ahead of his time. It's not like, you know, Garvey or, 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 you know, Du Bois before him or, you know, Malcolm X or even Dr. King weren't talking about these things, but within rap music, especially within Southern rap music. Oh, it's very, very clever and very fresh. Right. So yeah. yeah Live at the Omni is, is a great song. Yeah. Um, I want to skip skip goodie bag if that's all right with you and go oh goodness <laughs> okay we can skip goodie bag i just want to say anybody who thinks that CeeLo green is just like um uh when i see it in my ride i say f you if, if, if yeah. anybody who doesn't know the og CeeLo green from them first two goodie mob or even going back to like Southern playlistic and you think he's just some pop star. You just remember like the spray painted gold CeeLo from the Grammys that one year. You need to go back, listen to all of this old goodie mob and outcast stuff, but definitely listen to goodie bag. Listen to goodie bag. Listen to him get off there. Even listen to um, fighting, which I'm sure we'll get to fighting. Um, yeah, because in fighting, he's not even he's like he freestyles acapella, but it's not even like he rapping. He just he's really like preaching. Um, it just happens to rhyme. But you just need to go back and listen to this old goody mob because it's a whole different CeeLo. But yeah, let's let's move forward. Yeah, I the uh, the song is Soul Food and I love the soul food hook that they do in the song Soul Food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it. Um, it. It's something that you really don't hear today, which I can't keep talking about how much I love how old rap does so much well and how new rap does so much terribly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just so evident when you go back and you hear old rap music, you know, you're just like, my goodness, no wonder this is the genre that has taken the world by storm. Like this is the number one cultural movement. Now it's been so industrialized and watered down and commercialized that it isn't what it once was, but you realize the potency of what it can be and certainly what it began as. Absolutely. And this is another example. This is probably Goody Mob's second biggest hit. Um, Yeah, I would say this might be there. Eh, Maybe it's up there. It's up there in their biggest hits as well. They have an amazing second album called Still Standing as well, but it's certainly from this album, this is their second single, right? They led with Cell Therapy and then Soul Food is the other one. But this is a good one, man. It's a nice tour of Atlanta Soul Food places. Many of these places still exist from JJ's Rib Shack to the beautiful restaurant, which has an interesting Atlanta history uh, in and of itself. Um, there's, some, there's some OJ uh, Simpson trial references in here that's really, really good. Um yeah, just I would strongly recommend listening to this, uh, listening to this song and then encouraging yourself to uh, make you a plate of soul food, because that's what this album is intended to be. This the way Southern Comfort, well-made grandma's hands, put a foot in it, soul food, hits your stomach like that and comforts you, your body. This album, this music is supposed to comfort your soul the same way. Yeah. Um, now, I 
after I tell you this, we can go to whatever song you would like to talk about. Uh, uh, but me personally, my favorite song was the last song, The Day After. Uh-huh. I, I loved it. Uh, I have it breaking the scale. It's a six out of five for me. Nice. It's just, I absolutely loved it. The hook was great. Um, and yeah, the, the beat was fire too. It's perfect for me. I, you can't do any better in my opinion. If you had to guess, what would you say is, you know, the meaning of this song? What do you think this song is about? Oh, um, honestly, I got no clue. You're going to have to tell me. I I had to listen to this song like three times because the first time all I did was listen to the beat. I didn't care about the lyrics at all. (laughs) The the beat is great. The beat is great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So this song kind of does two things. And it's great that it's the last song on this album because this song is very, this album is very much about liberation, right? Um, But I like, again, this is where they weave both kind of a social political consciousness and awakening along with the spiritual awakening as well, because technically this song is about the day after Judgment Day. Um, And Judgment Day not just being this kind of rapture thing that's this invisible Jesus moment or even this thing of like, you know, this kind of traditional idea of heaven of where we we go to this ethereal place with pink clouds and naked baby angels and we drink Coca-Cola or whatever. But like, what does it look like for in an instant, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, our entire world right here an embodied experience on earth, our cities, our children, our communities, everything to be changed? What yeah. would it be like the day after that? Right. Especially if we conceive of a God who sees and hears the cries of oppressed people. Um, And that's a beautiful thing because that encapsulates, encapsulates both a, a, you know, a social political embodied reality. That's something we can see and observe with an experience here and now, but it's also something that's a spiritual liberation. It isn't just accomplished through like ballots or bullets. It's accomplished within our souls and our hearts. And we can not only hope for this, but we can live into this right now. Um, and so it's just Goody Mob. I think, you know, Gip talks about like how his grandmother after 103 years will, will be healed and how she'll be, you know, made free of this. And Timo talks about what it looks like to have heaven on earth and just even newborn babies. And there's just there's just so much of what that what it's like. I mean, I just like how CeeLo's verse starts. It's like, I know of a place not too far away that maybe you and I can both go someday. But I got to make sure because I ain't trying to stay here. Don't y'all realize that the end is so near. But don't have fear because you still got time. I hope you want to come when I'm done with the rhyme. So let me explain so you won't claim you didn't know and you can make sure that this is where you want to go. It's all about your, it's all about preparing yourself for the return and a trip to your soul is the only way you'll learn. But if you choose not to go, that ain't my concern. I guess in hell you'll have to burn the devil tells lies and tries to trick your soul to receive it they tell you that my lord ain't coming back and you believe it regardless if you listen to me in the end we gonna see i'm so happy we made it and so um it's just i mean it's it's what this album is so much of what goody mob will stand for um and what i think true like southern hip-hop at its core in the 90s is, is going for standing for even when it's still talking about tricking and pimping and you know what i'm saying cadillac goes and all of that yeah. there is still this other part of the consciousness and the reality of what it, i think it is to be black in the south and this this album is that's why i wanted to 
this is why I wanted this to be the album that I that I celebrate and that I share it with you on three ball. So yeah. Um so uh you want me to give you my final score on it? Let's hear it. Drum roll. It is five out of five. Hey, that's great. I it is. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it's it's the second highest album I've ever reviewed on this podcast. That's outstanding, man. I'm glad that I could I could bring that to the table, man, and hopefully expose everybody out there to this amazing, amazing, beautiful piece of art. Thank you, CeeLo, Timo, Cujo, Big Gip, for just blessing us with this. I mean, this is life-changing music. I mean, this album changed. It's just one of those albums, one of those things that changed my life. Like, if I made a hymn book, you know, even for me today as a, you know, spiritually as a believer, like, there's songs on this album that it's in my hymnal. It's in my personal, like this stuff rocks my soul. It leads me um, to lift up my soul to the Lord. And so I'm just, yeah, I'm just, I'm thankful for this impact, the, the impact that this album has had on me and my community. Yeah. Um, and if you still have a couple minutes, I'm going to encourage people to go listen to your podcast that you are on it's called Don't Trust the Punch. Uh, if you know Cinder Scott, <laughs> then uh, it, it's, a, it's a different side of him, which I absolutely love. You get to see him a little bit more free in himself, I would oh, say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And if, and if, you, if you enjoy, uh, if you don't know him and you enjoy uh, listening to him on my podcast, then you should definitely go check his podcast. They are even doing the Zoom thing over there where you can see their faces and the reactions. They're right. They're right. They're right. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if, uh, I don't think you've, Maybe you've talked about it on my podcast, but if you got a couple minutes, why did you guys really like get into the podcast? And you guys don't do it for money, which is good to see. Uh, you guys just do it as it started off uh, two two guys, and you guys mm -hmm. just caught up and you just talked, and it was great to see. Now you've added another guy. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll let if you want to tell the people their names you can uh, i'm just trying to encourage them to go listen to the podcast so they can figure it out who they are <laughs> but um so why did you guys start getting into it i know it was just a talk and how how is it has it changed at all are you guys still on the same flow that you were going in when you first started yeah man so it's it's a passion project don't trust the punch is a passion project between me and one of my best friends man he's like he's definitely a brother to me man uh g-rock uh, we both two guys from Atlanta um, who just, you know, have developed a friendship over the past, gosh, at this point, it's got to be like seven, 16 or 17 years we've been close friends. And uh, in the midst of that time, we've moved to different places, got married, kids, all this other type of stuff. But we've maintained like really epic phone conversations um, that will sometimes go two, three hours. And so as we've done that, like we've had respective people who are like, y'all just need to like record this. Like the stuff that y'all talking about, I, you know, it's funny for us to just be flies on the wall and overhear y'all talking, you know, but y'all just need to, y'all could be making money off of some of these opinions and some of these takes that y'all have. Cause y'all are both, while y'all have good chemistry, y'all not exactly the same. And so just bouncing off of each other working. So we finally was like, after just talking about it, we like, bro, let's just do it. And so we did it the same way three ball is doing it, man. We did it through anchor and just started up loading stuff to Spotify 
Um, and it was cool. It was a way for us to maintain our friendship and to talk about Atlanta and talk about all things cool and culture and just continue to stay connected and, and give that to the people. Our first season is really good. There's some audio glitches. This second season has been fantastic. And at the end of the first season, we added a good mutual friend of ours, Josh E, uh, to the show, who's from Cincinnati, who just brings a good dynamic and I think a good balancing energy between me and G-Rock as well. So, yeah, man, it's not just hip hop. We talk about all things cool and culture. We've also kind of evolved a little bit more. Yeah, you got the (laughs) fishbowl. Yeah, we got fishbowl of fun on there. We got headlines that we do. Uh, I started this thing called Rando Questions. So I just catch the guys off guard with just a random question. So we kind of talk about a little bit of our personal lives, man. And just um, we also want it to be a show where you can hear an honest opinion from just three brothers about what it is to be, you know, be 30 plus uh, and living this life and even what's going on around us and being being relevant in that way, man. So it's Don't Trust the Punch. You can find it on Spotify and other podcasting uh, platforms. But as Galt was sharing with you guys, you can watch us, watch the video takes of us exclusively on Spotify. Spotify cut the chick. Um, but now nah, for real, it's it's been really fun. We're going to record tonight and you'll catch an all new episode, episode nine of season two. First thing tomorrow morning. All right. Well, I, I'll have to catch up on eight. I haven't finished all the eight yet. <laughs> oh, I think, yeah. Eight's kind of a trip, man. So get ready for that. <laughs> okay. Well thank, well, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to uh, catch up with me and review this album. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thanks, everyone else. No problem. Everybody stay safe and peace out.